Welcome to Mind Love, episode 265. Today's episode is all about a radical new way to negotiate. They don't really understand what it is they're negotiating about. And therefore, they make arguments that seem logical or fair to them, but aren't actually objectively fair. And that leads people to get upset, to feel they're being treated inappropriately, and emotions rise, and uh, and people end up with no deals. And uh, so that's why a lot of people hate negotiation. So what I'd like to do up front is agree on how we're going to negotiate, rather than start with a price or threat or an ultimatum or bluffing or anchoring or funky tactics. It's like, can we agree that we're going to try and create a giant pie and split it? Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. If this is your first time giving your mind a little love, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Mind love is a habit, and the more you give your mind that love and intention, the better you'll feel about yourself and your life. Plus, it's really a win-win because more subscribers means Mind Love attracts even more amazing guests to bring you their wisdom. So don't forget to subscribe. Today, I'd like to share a review from Shake Litton who says, favorite new podcast with so much goodness. Mind Love is incredible. I could listen to the host all day long. She's got a soothing voice that's smooth, inspiring, and captivating. The initial stories are so interesting and I love the audio quality and sound production. I've listened to the first few episodes and can't wait to listen to more. My favorite new podcast, hands down. Well, thank you so much for leaving this review. You know how much I appreciate it. It's like a little tip in my tip jar. So I'm sending you so much love. Do you feel like a confident negotiator? I sure as hell don't. Well, I didn't used to. And honestly, the strategy I learned during this interview changed my whole energy around it because it's so simple and it should be so obvious, but it wasn't until it was. And now it is all I can see. Negotiations are stressful. It usually feels like a verbal game of poker, both people bluffing, hoping they can come out on top. It's hard to know whether to show your hand or to keep it a secret or even outright lie. Negotiations tend to bring out the worst in people. About a year ago, I totally fumbled a negotiation. I thought I was going in prepared. I spruced up some knowledge from some negotiation books. Not this one, though, because I didn't know about it. And I actually went in playing hardball, which I am not used to doing. I always cave. My husband has to, like, hold my hand at farmer's markets because if I sample, I will buy, even if I don't like it. What is that about? Well, I went into this negotiation and I thought that I was showing that I knew more than they thought I did. I had educated questions. I called them out on some of my concerns. Well, the negotiation fell through. Actually, they pulled out. Maybe my hardballs were too hard. I don't know, but I felt like crap, like that sinking feeling in my stomach. And it was a big lesson for me. And sure, maybe it just wasn't meant to be. Or maybe calling them out made them aware that they couldn't take advantage of me. I'll never really know. But what I do know is that if I had read this book first or had this interview first, I would have done things differently. And maybe the deal would have turned out differently. But too often we're left guessing what the other person is thinking, if they're telling the truth, if we're giving too much or too little. 
wouldn't it be so much better if there were a principled way to negotiate? Some structure to determine what's actually fair for both parties so you can feel confident in what you're proposing? Well, there is. And that is what we're talking about today. Our guest is Barry Nailbuff. He's the Milton Steinbach professor at the Yale School of Management, where he's taught strategy, game theory, and negotiation for 32 years. And he's also the author of seven books, Thinking Strategically and the Art of Strategy, Coopetition for Cooperating While Competing, Why Not, which provides a framework for problem solving, and several others, including Split the Pie, which offers a new perspective on negotiation. He's also a serial entrepreneur. You might recognize the brand Honest Tea, which he co-founded and sold to Coca-Cola. So three key things we will learn are why most people are dividing the wrong pie in negotiations and how to find the right one. The two perspectives most people take in negotiation and how this new method appeases both and how to apply this method to simple and more complex needs for negotiation. One minor disclaimer, Barry is recovering from a cold or possibly COVID, so don't mind his congestion. And if it bugs you, maybe use it as a mindfulness exercise to send love and move through it. (laughs) And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Barry Nailbuff to the show. Thanks for having me. So what piqued your interest into the art of negotiation? Well, I'm teaching it at the Yale School of Management, so I figured I better know something about it. (laughs) And it's also fundamental to the way we live our lives. So most people are familiar with dividing up the pie in negotiations, but the fundamental, I guess, point of your philosophy around it is that most people are splitting the pie wrong or they're splitting the wrong pie. What do you mean by that? It's funny to say this, but they don't really understand what it is they're negotiating about. And therefore, they make arguments that seem logical or fair to them, but aren't actually objectively fair. And that leads people to get upset, to feel they're being treated inappropriately and emotions rise and and people end up with no deals. So that's why a lot of people hate negotiation. There are some people who like negotiation and I'm perhaps even more worried about them. I will be honest. I am notoriously bad at negotiation or hard conversations. It's something I've been working on. I've interviewed people, so I've got some skills, (laughs) but I dread it and I will send my husband for it before me. Like we've gone to timeshare presentations before and I have to go to the bathroom when they're like talking about numbers so that he can deny them. (laughs) Otherwise I'll be like, yeah, where do I sign? And then like have to call for a refund. And I know that's not exactly a negotiation, but it's, it's getting there. And so what's an example of Somebody looking at a situation and splitting the pie wrong. Well, let me give you a recent example with my mother. She lives in Sarasota, and fortunately her house didn't get blown away in the recent hurricane. She'd been renting for 10 years, and the landlord 
seeing the hot market from work from home, decided to put the house up for sale. And the question is, would she be interested in buying it? And if so, he was offering it to her at $790,000. That was uh, $10,000 below what he thought the market price would be, namely $800,000. And so the question is, what's the negotiation about? And a lot of people think it's about the price of the house. But really, he's not going to sell the house for less than the market price. The question is, why should my mom be buying from him and why should he be selling to my mom? There are two or three reasons why it makes sense for the two of them to transact. First off, they can avoid a real estate agent commission, which at 5% on $800,000, that's $40,000. That's real money. Next, she could avoid the psychological costs and the financial costs of moving. That's probably another $5,000. He could avoid the costs of having to fix up the place and possibly have to have it empty for a month or two while he's looking for a new tenant for somebody to buy it. Well, let's call his cost of fixing it up and my mom's cost of moving a wash. So let's really focus on the 40000 And my question to you is, who has more power when it comes to that $40,000? Is it my mom or is it the seller? Well, I have read a good portion of your book, so I feel like I might know the answer. Is I'll it that they it. have equal power? It is indeed that they have equal power. So this example was not in the book, which means that we're able to take the ideas from the book and apply them to the real world, which is great. My mom writes to him and says, look, I'm happy to buy the house from you at market price. And I'm also happy to split the savings that we can create by doing this deal together. And he writes back and says, uh, Marsha, I don't think you understand. I have more power here. This is a hot market. And therefore, I should get more of the savings. And at this point, I help my mom with the reply. The answer is the fact that it's a hot market is why the market price is high. But that doesn't change how we should be dividing up the 40000 Because if you sell to anybody else at eight hundred, you only collect seven sixty. And if I try and buy an equivalent house from anybody else, I'm going to have to pay eight hundred. So the only way we get a world in which we save that 40000 is if you're the seller and I'm the buyer. You need me just as much as I need you. And so the key is the person in the perceived weaker position knowing that they have equal power. Absolutely. And understanding what the negotiation is about. It's not really about the purchase price because in some sense, the market is going to determine that. It's about why the two of us should be doing this deal and how we split up the surplus that's created when you and I transact. So he gets it. He says, okay, good. I like that. Yeah. And in fact, I'm so... I'm such a believer now that why don't we hire the same lawyer? And that way, instead of us each paying $2,500 to have separate legal counsel, we can get one lawyer who will do things right down the middle, kind of take an objective approach, and we can save another 2500 bucks. And so they do. That sounded like one of the most fair house sellers I've ever <laughs> even heard of. All of a sudden now he's like, oh, I like this because he got it. And so it does make a lot of sense. That I think that's the hard part about negotiation for so many people is you know that I was just learning about perceived value with things and how usually neither party agrees on the value that they're trying to negotiate in the first place. And so mm -hmm. because of that, then it, everything just feels so subjective and it feels like you got to 
use the right words or like use little tricks of language in order to like convince the person to move closer and set your anchoring point and all of that. And I think that's why I've felt overwhelmed by it in the past because I don't like convincing things. I want to be fair in a way. And it's just hard when you feel like the fairness is a, is subjective. But when it's objective like that, it's a lot easier to stand your ground. Yeah, well, the, you know, the F word in negotiation is fair. And I point out that uh, it was interesting that you said that we found a fair seller in this case. Note also that we had a fair buyer, that the two of them were actually talking about objectively what a fair outcome is. I want to backtrack for a minute because I know that most people employ one of two perspectives. You call it the power perspective and the fairness perspective. And so to go Mm -hmm. deeper on this, can you explain what either of those perspectives look like? Well, the power perspective is who has more power in this negotiation. Uh, And the fairness perspective is what is the objectively fair approach. And what's nice is that when you understand the pie correctively, those two approaches line up because... Both sides have equal power. And if the two sides have equal power, then the only fair thing to do is to split the pie. I like the way you word it in your book. You're not always negotiating what you think you're negotiating. You're negotiating the value that you're creating together. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really key for someone like me because, like I said, when I'm like pushing something that I don't really believe in, I I just crumble. And so when I do see it this way, this like really objective way of negotiation, I'm like, I can do that. I can hold my ground with that and I can explain that to people and, and feel good about what I'm selling or wagering or whatever it is that I'm doing. And so that the wording of it's the value that we're creating together. So in the example of of your mom and the home seller, the value that they're creating together is that 40000 because otherwise mm-hmm. it'd be a wash and it would go straight yeah. to an a real estate agent. People often think negotiations are zero sum. In this case, if my mom pays more for the house, she's paying more and the real estate, so the seller gets more, she gets less. But they forget about the fact that if they people don't reach a deal, then both sides get zero. That whole 40000 is lost. And so, in fact, in my view, no negotiations are zero sum because there's the potential of actually sharing the pie. And that pie goes away if you don't have a deal. So let's go deeper into what's wrong with the status quo of negotiating. <laughs> One of the first points that you make is that uh, the power perspective confuses power outside the negotiation versus power inside the negotiation. What does Mm -hmm. that exactly mean? We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help 
on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney Show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney Show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. One of the first points that you make is that the power perspective confuses power outside the negotiation versus power inside the negotiation. What does Mm -hmm. that exactly mean? Well, we saw that actually in the house example, that in some sense, the seller thought he was more powerful in terms of he was entitled to more of the 40,000. But that was the idea that there's a hot real estate market. That's why the price of the house is high, not that he had more power on getting the uh, 40,000. Can I go back just for a sec? Because you, you had this great comment about trying to convince somebody that you're right and having objective versus subject, subjective versus objective valuations. Imagine you and I are negotiating on how to split up a couple servings, let's say three servings of beets and three servings of broccoli. And it turns out that you really like beets and I'm much more keen on broccoli. Well, first off, how should we split up those six servings? This isn't a trick question. So I like beets and you like broccoli. Yeah. I should get two beets and one broccoli, and you should get two broccolis and one beet. I just threw that you know, out there. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, so, a lot of people think you kind of move a little bit to the middle, but actually, I'm a believer in extremes. You should get all the beets, and I should get all the broccoli. Oh, I love that. But that's the starting point. Here's the next question the key one Is it in my interest or my, uh, does it help me to convince you that broccoli is good? So I could say, you know, Melissa, this is uh, this is really some of the best broccoli you'll ever try. It's made with garlic and no canola oil, isn't stringy. It's almost like broccolini, won't get caught in your teeth. Uh, you really should try this broccoli. Is that in my interest? No, because you like the broccoli. And in particular, say I'm right and I convince you and you decide you like the broccoli. Then what? Then all of a sudden I want more of the thing that you want. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to give up your broccoli so easily. And so the last thing I want to do is change your perceptions that 
effectively, if we see things differently, that actually is helping us reach an agreement, not hurting us reaching an agreement. And so people think we have to agree on the value of broccoli and beets to reach an agreement, but no, actually, the more we disagree, the easier it is for us to reach an agreement. Okay, this reminds me of something that actually just happened a week ago. <laughs> and, Go for it. All right, so I ended up giving in mostly, but because it was my husband's birthday. But so we go out to eat for my husband's birthday. We decide to get fajitas. We always split fajitas because it's just always too much. And he's like, I just really think we should get the steak fajitas. We've never had the steak fajitas. Let's get those. And I was thinking, well, I'd rather have shrimp. And I'm like, well, I want the shrimp fajitas. Maybe we should get steak and shrimp. And he's like, well, if we're going to do that, I think that we should get the trio, which is steak, chicken, and shrimp. And I'm like, but I don't really want chicken or steak. I guess it sounds okay. I really just want the shrimp. And he like gave me a look and it was his birthday. So I gave in. I'm like, okay, we're getting the trio. Well, then it comes mm-hmm. and there's there's a lot of steak, a lot of chicken, and there's three pieces of shrimp on the top. And I'm yeah. like, just so you know, I'm taking all the shrimp. And he looks at me and he's like, <laughs> like shocked. And he's like, on my birthday? And I was like, you literally didn't even want the shrimp. I wish I had any of these negotiation skills because I can so see how this would have played out otherwise because he wouldn't have even had any shrimp if it wasn't for me. It was the primary thing that I wanted. And so instead I just took two shrimp, left him one, and then grabbed some chicken and steak. But, you know, I think about it before I go to bed at night. <laughs> I, I think it probably was the right call on the birthday day, uh, okay, just okay. as a, a general matter. But what should you have done, I think, ahead of time? Probably ask them for either one steak and two shrimp or two steak and one shrimp and lose the chicken. Yeah, and, the trio was uh, the bad idea. I'm going to play this episode idea. Or you could say, getting a trio is okay, but custom make your own trio. And they don't really care which ones it is. And if they say, look, it's an extra 50 cents if we just have two shrimp, you say, fine. And while I was reading this menu, I was already irritated because the steak cost one price. Chicken was cheapest. Right. Steak right. was a little bit more. Yeah. Shrimp was a little bit more. But then for some reason, trio was even more than the shrimp. And I'm like, but if the shrimp's the well, that, most expensive thing. That's that's ridiculous, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I'll, I'll give you a recent example of that. It was kind of fun. My daughter is getting married, and we thought about having a crepe truck come in uh, as part of the night before event for people. And let me go take a step back. One of the things I believe in negotiation is that you should always ask, but ask with a reason, not just ask to beg. So this uh, person was happy to come and come to the wedding and said it'd be $25 a person. We have 200 people, so $5,000. And I look at his menu and the typical crepe costs $9, 10 or $11. And I'm thinking, well, hold on, this is like a non-compute here. And he's at this event, and I, so I go, and I said, well, I see you're at this event. I take it you come to events on a regular basis. He says, yeah. He says, you know, how many, uh, how many crepes do you think you're going to sell today? He says, I don't know, 70, 100. He says, okay, you know, is that a great day? It's kind of average. It's not great. I said, well, if I brought you to an event, it can guarantee you 100 sales. Would that be worth your time? He says, oh, yeah, 100 sales, for sure. And I said, okay, can I make your life even easier? What if I prepaid for all 100 sales? So you didn't have to give change or anything. Just make life really simple, right? I've already given you the money in advance. He says, oh, yeah, that would be great. Uh, and now we're talking about if I think, you know, maybe 150 people buy a crepe out of the 200. Now we're talking about $1,500, not $5,000. And so at that point, he kind of catches on 
that he's just cut his price by a factor of three. Uh, and so he says, well, I'd really need 120 guarantee. I said, okay, I can handle that. And so my point to you with the uh, shrimp question is I would say to the person, look, help me understand why the three-way combo is more expensive than the shrimp. It seems to me it should be kind of the same price as the meat. What? Because effectively the meat is in between the shrimp and the chicken. And maybe it's something you haven't understood. So ask it as a question rather than this makes no sense and see what their answer is. Help me understand is a good key phrase to say, I'm calling bullshit on your menu prices. (laughs) And uh, worst case is, look, you know, instead of three shrimp, could you give me two shrimp and a meat and still charge me the shrimp price? That seems to be still better uh, than the combo deal. And it's better for them because apparently shrimp's the most expensive. So it makes... Exactly. I'm going to go back to this restaurant and get a change on their menu because like (laughs) I said, I've barely slept since last week because of this debacle. (laughs) But I I think there might be other reasons keeping you up. Maybe a small child. Just kidding. But another problem that you bring up with the status quo is that the fairness perspective is oversimplified in terms of fairness. What do you really mean by that? Yeah, I think people are all the time trying to come up with things that sound fair, that often proportional divisions are what people think of as fair. Uh, And they think one side is bringing more to the table than the other side. But these proportional divisions are actually completely arbitrary. And it's a problem because, in fact, the value that both sides are bringing is equal. It's not proportional to anything on the outside. So one example that I use uh, in the book is Alice and Bob are trying to divide up a pizza. And they can get 12 slices if they agree on how to divide them up. If they don't, Alice can get four slices and Bob will get two. So many people think Alice is twice as strong as Bob because Alice can get twice as many slices as Bob if they don't have an agreement. But the truth is that why they have the negotiation? It's not to divide up the 12 slices. It's to get an extra six. They already have the first six in their pocket, the four and the two. To get the extra six slices, they're needed equally. So the proportional division would say Alice is twice as strong as Bob. Alice should get eight. Bob should get four. The equal division would say, no, there's 12 slices, six and six. And my view is what you should divide up equally is not the 12 slices. It's the extra six that's created through an agreement. That's what the real negotiation pie is. And so Alice gets the four slices with no deal plus the extra three, which is seven. And Bob gets the two slices from no deal plus three or five. I realize that's kind of hard to do uh, in your head, but hopefully some of it made it through. Yeah, because if I was Bob, when Alice went to the bathroom, I'd steal another slice. Well, you can't do that. We're not, <laughs> we're not allowing you. But I like that. That's <laughs> Just create distraction, eat quickly. I don't know. Yes. I'm going to throw out an example because it's something that I remember dealing with in college. Me and a friend were going to rent a home. We were getting our own place. Okay. And... One of the bedrooms was legitimately twice as big as the other bedroom. And so say we'll just call it even, the rent was going to be $2,000. So should the person that gets the big room pay twice as much in rent? Or do you divide up the square footage of the entire house and then figure out what the cost is by square footage? Or how would you negotiate that? Yeah. Well, one thing, I mean, that makes sense in my view, if you thought about why you would proportionally, would be this um, common area that arises. 
and that should be divided up evenly. And then there's the bedrooms, and that should be divided up proportional to size. It also gets tricky when in our own family, one of our daughter's boyfriends moves in to live with her. <laughs> this happened at this exact place that I lived at. I, I was and, the bad friend that did that. <laughs> uh, and so the question is, how does how much did the boyfriend pay? And one view is, well, you know, I've same bedroom, we're not using any more of that. And the answer is, I think the bedroom cost doesn't change. Utilities costs should be divided up based on the number of people. And the common area should be divided up based on the number of people. Mm. And so effectively, you can think about what is this person actually using and separate a common area from a bedroom area and separate that out from utilities as well. And so say I'm the person that's possibly taking that larger room. I'm the one who brought in my boyfriend or planning on bringing in. Maybe we know this ahead of time. But I'm also the person who found the place that we're renting. And I'm totally willing to find a different roommate if they don't agree to my terms. Does that up me in the power position or is there still equal power there? Now there's no longer equal power because it's no longer a two-party negotiation. It's you and roommate one versus you and roommate two, three, four, five, and six. So there's two aspects. One is, to what extent is this roommate going to be unhappy living with you if they feel they're being taken advantage of, in which case they may not be a very good roommate, and they can get you back by leaving dishes in the sink. And the second is, what would other people agree to? And what's the market rent for that smaller bedroom? And so I have no problem with you doing that. I, I would want to disclose that there's going to be two people in the larger bedroom, if you'd like, so that the person isn't surprised and has the deal being changed on them. But yes, you could in theory get all of the pie by having uh, the ability to play one potential roommate off of another. So what if the person that you're negotiating with does not care about fairness? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. So what if the person that you're negotiating with does not care about fairness? Well, I have an example in the book where I talk about that. So I have this friend who made a rookie error. He filed for a trademark and didn't realize that when you do trademark filings, they're public. And there's this uh, troll out there who I'll call Edward Kahn because that's his name, 
who ended up buying the URL associated with the domain name, uh, the URL associated with the trademark, uh, soon as it became public. And so when my friend went to buy the domain name, uh, he discovered that Edward Kahn had it. And he writes to Edward and says, hey, I'd like to buy this. And Edward says, uh, oh, sure, I guess I'm happy to sell it to you for 2500 And my friend who uh, did some research and discovers that there's an organization called ICANN, which for $1,300 has a domain dispute, dispute resolution process. And my friend was sure to win. So he writes back to Edward and says, look, as, as little as I'd like paying you 2500 I'd rather pay ICANN 1300 I'll still get the domain name when you'll end up with zero. So first off, by the way, what is this negotiation about? What is the size of the pie here? My friend values this domain name at $20,000. Uh, the good news is he's not going to have to pay more than 2500 In fact, he's not going to have to pay more than 1300 And I claim in this case, the pie is really 1300 because essentially in order to save the cost of going to ICANN, my friend and Edward have to reach an agreement on how much my friend is going to pay for the domain name. And so most people would look at that and think, <coughs> Excuse me. the 2500 was the anchoring price, so that's what you're negotiating down with. But mm-hmm. actually, because there's a solution where your friend only has to pay to dispute, which is 1300 then that's the price that you're negotiating. So the fairest that, price would be splitting that 1300 between the 650. two. $650. And that's what my, and that's what my friend proposes. Edward, when he hears the 1300 number, says, okay, 1100. And then he says, 900, that's my last number. And my friend is at 650 and never moves. And uh, a week later, Edward says, okay, 650. The question is, uh, does Edward care at all about fairness or the pie? No, he just wants money. No, no, he's a troll. He's a jerk. He just wants to take my friend to the cleaners as, as much as he can. So why does the pie argument work in spite of the fact that this guy is the troll and a jerk? And the answer is, is that he doesn't have to convince Edward to care about the pie. He just has to convince Edward that he cares about the pie. If Edward wants to do a deal, the only deal my friend will do is a fair deal. And this is the point that principled beats arbitrary. Edward's just throwing spaghetti up on the wall to see what sticks, 2,500, 1,100, 900. It's all arbitrary. Whereas my friend has a principle. So again, you don't have to actually persuade the other person that the pie is right, that the pie is what's fair. You have to convince them that this is what you believe. And if they have some other argument that makes sense, that can persuade you, fine. But there isn't another argument. And so therefore, you'll do just fine. So you actually have some pretty big personal experience with a big negotiation. I don't think our audience knows that you're a co-founder of Honest Tea and you actually negotiated to selling Honest Tea to Coca-Cola. Tell us the ins and outs of that negotiation. Sure. I, I should add in that last case that, of course, my friend was me and that the other piece of advice is spend twelve fifty ahead of time and just buy the domain name before you try and file the trademark. So this was honesttea.com? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was not honesty.com. It was a, another company. It was makeroats.com uh, that was ultimately sold to Quaker. So, so Seth and I, my, Seth Goldman, my former student, uh, back in 1998, started Honesty. And we grew the business from zero to 23 million. At that point, we get approached by Coca-Cola, who's interested in acquiring the business. But there was a problem, which is we were too small to really fit in the organization. That they're great at building businesses from 100 million up to a billion, but they're also pretty good at bringing businesses from 50 million down to zero. And so we all agreed that they should buy the business in three years rather than today. And during those three years, they'll help us with marketing, with production, with distribution. But there was a problem. They said, look, you know, 
We're happy to help you, but we don't want to pay more for all the stuff we're doing to help. Pretty reasonable, right? Yeah. And my response is, well, you're right. You shouldn't pay full price for all the things you're doing to help us, but you should pay half price because it's true we need you to help us, but you also need us as the vehicle to help. Without our recipes, our customers, our brand, your distribution, your production, your marketing isn't going to help. And so what we should really do is say you should pay a full price on what we can achieve without you and half price on sales above that. And so, in fact, we agreed on that framework in the first hour of our negotiation. And then we had a week where we spent time arguing about what we could achieve without them and what full price is or what market price was. But that was really a data-driven exercise. And it goes back actually to the question with my mom. What's the market price of this house that we should subtract 20000 from? So what I'd like to do up front is agree on how we're going to negotiate rather than start with a price or threat or an ultimatum or bluffing or anchoring or funky tactics. It's like, can we agree that we're going to try and create a giant pie and split it? Great. Because we can agree on that. Now I know we can do a deal. And let's just think about how we make a big pie. And so, in fact, that's what we did with Coke. Uh, we grew the business from $23 million to $75 million over those three years. And Coke uh, then ran with this business for another 12 years. Just uh, three months ago, they decided to shut down Honest Tea. They kept Honest Kids. And Seth and I got the band back together. And we just launched uh, a new tea company. And that new tea company is called, go ahead, just iced tea. I love honest tea because or or or, or justice tea. Justice tea. Oh, I like it. I am a fan of honest tea. Um, I'm real, really big into ingredients and yeah. just cleaner labels, less ingredients, simpler things. So I'm really glad <laughs> for a, for a good ten seconds. I was really upset that I heard honest tea is gone. I'm like, that's the only thing I'll drink at gas stations. <laughs> well. Uh, so I guess if you get an electric car, you won't have that problem going forward. But now you can have this in your fridge. Uh, <laughs> and it's the original flavors that people knew and loved. Uh, Moroccan mint, green tea, uh, just by itself, uh, half and half, uh, lemonade, uh, a peach with oolong, uh, hibiscus and berries. So uh, we're having some fun and we'll see if uh, lightning strikes twice. So it does seem like the pie framework favors the little guy or what the perceived weaker party would be. Is that true? Yes and no. So I would say the traditional approach doesn't allow the little party to get what they really should be getting. Uh, and that's uh, a problem. But in some ways, that hurts the big party too. Because if the little party is feeling that they're being treated unfairly, even if they don't have the vocabulary to explain it, they may just not do the deal. And so both sides get zero. Or they clam up and think that uh, I'm just not really willing to share all the information with you or really work so hard with you to expand the pie. And so, yes, traditional negotiations, I think, have favored the larger party. But that doesn't mean the larger party already does, always does better because they may end up with no deal or a much smaller pie. So far, we've focused on dividing up a positive pie, like an amount that both people can get or save. What if you're dividing a negative pie, like when there's costs to be paid? How does this change or does it not? It's, it's really no different. It's a question of how much money are we saving by doing things together? So what fraction of the cost should each of us be paying? And you could think about it with a, an Uber ride. If two of us are sharing an Uber, uh, how much should 
each party pay. It could be if we're building, if we're developers building a pipeline. Uh, one of my favorite examples of this actually occurs in France, where we have uh, elevators in their shared building. What's funny in the United States is that typically if there's an elevator that's put up or repaired, everybody pays the same amount. But the people on the ground floor aren't using the elevator. Uh, and I'm not sure why that's really the case. And people on the first floor, they can always take the stairs. And so in France, the higher floor you are, the larger fraction of the cost of the elevator you end up paying. And that strikes me actually as a whole lot more reasonable. Yes, it totally is. People have made a similar argument about healthcare. Should healthy people pay less in healthcare than people who are sick? Or I should say people who take care of themselves because they're doing all these things to improve their health while other people are not or doing things that actively decrease their health. So why does it get averaged out the same? I'll admit it, I've had those thoughts, but then I had a baby. <laughs> and so that costs money. But now that I think about it, I've paid out of pocket for a midwife. So it's not like my health insurance is helping me and I'm still okay, just well, sending money That's away. a separate issue of what's covered. But I think the point of health insurance is that if you had to pay for when you're sick, uh, then you actually don't have insurance. So the whole point of it is to cover you when you have things that are unexpected. Uh, in contrast with the elevator, these are people who have chosen to live on different floors and are using, uh, this is not, I don't need insurance to protect me, if you'd like, against uh, the cost of an elevator. And one thing that happens is when people decide to renovate a building, in the United States, people say, well, you know, I'm against it if I'm on a low floor. I don't want to renovate this elevator. I don't want to spend another $300,000 to put in a new elevator because I'm not using it. I don't care that it's slow, that it's uh, unreliable, whatever. Uh, so we haven't allocated the costs in any way that's uh, appropriate to people. Whereas in healthcare, we kind of know that our whole goal, if you'd like, is to have healthy people cover the cost of people who end up being sick because you never know which one you're going to be. There's a lot of preventative measures you can take, though. <laughs> I, I absolutely believe in that, too. So, I, yes, we should be covering and subsidizing and motivating people to take a whole lot better care of themselves. That's Surely true. A lot cheaper than taking care of them after the fact. Yep. So tell us where this pie approach originated from. You told about the Talmud solution. Tell us that story. So tell us where this pie approach originated from. You told about the Talmud solution. Tell us that story. It turns out that this idea of splitting the pie actually goes back to the Babylonian Talmud, where there are two individuals who each are making a claim on a cloth. So let's imagine that one of them is claiming half the cloth and the other is claiming the full cloth. So if you took a proportional division approach, you'd say, well, one person is claiming twice as much as the other. And therefore, we should divide the cloth up two-thirds and one-third. But what the Talmud says in the principle of the divided cloth is the person who's only claiming half the cloth has essentially conceded the other half of the cloth to the second party. Because basically, I'm asking for half, so that means, yeah, you can have half. The person who's asking for the whole cloth is conceding nothing. And therefore, half the cloth is in dispute, and half the cloth is not in dispute. So we divide up the disputed part 50-50. And the undisputed part goes to the person who has been conceded that amount. 
and therefore the division ends up being one quarter, three quarters. And effectively, this pi solution that I've been talking about is really the analog of the principle of the divided cloth from the Talmud. So if you'd like, it's a new idea, but it's also several thousand years old idea that's been rediscovered. Is there ever a situation where you're negotiating with somebody and the size of the pie isn't quite as clear? And what do you do in that situation? Uh, that's true all the time. So there's a couple solutions there. One is you can agree to divide up the pie ex post. So I don't know how big the pie is going to be. But when we discover what it is, then we agree to share it. So if Coke can help buy bottles of honesty, the glass bottles at 11 cents, and Honest Tea was spending 19 cents, so it was an eight cents a bottle savings. You could say, well, okay, we think Honest Tea is going to sell 100 million bottles, so it's an $8 million pie. We can divide it up four and four. Or you can say, look, what we'll do is just Honest will buy the bottles at 15 cents each, and therefore save four cents each bottle, and Coke will make four cents a bottle. And then however many bottles are sold, it's divided up right along the way. Another thing you can do when you don't know the pie is make a conditional offer it helps reveal what the other side is thinking. So imagine you have a painting that you inherited from your grandfather and you don't really know what it's worth. And the problem is getting an appraisal costs $1,000. And some local art dealer comes in and offers you $1,000 for the painting. So one thing you could do is say, well, okay, you, have, you offered 1000 3000 Now the person could say no, and then you could lose the deal, which would be a problem. The person could say yes, which might make you even more worried because maybe this means the painting is worth 10000 or 20000 You could go and get it appraised, but that would cost you as much as the painting is currently worth, so that's a problem. So what I would do instead is say something like, look, you're offering me 1000 I don't know what this painting is worth. You probably do. If you resell this painting for anything above 10000 I want half of the resale price. So yeah, if you can sell this painting for 6000 7000 God bless you, you have a bunch of clients, you're creating that value. But if this painting is really worth a lot, uh, then we should be splitting it. And if the person says no to that deal, now it makes me start thinking this painting really is worth a lot and therefore I should spend the money to get it appraised. Mm, genius. I, I don't know if it's genius, but at least it's a way of trying to figure out from what they're saying what this pie might be because effectively if the value of the painting is somewhere in the two to 10 range, what I've asked for is nothing and therefore it doesn't cost me. And if the painting is 15,000 even, I'm only asking for another 2,500. And so it's still a great deal from their perspective. So say we have the pie in mind, we're figuring out the value of the pie. What are ways that we can think about potentially growing the pie even more so that both parties benefit? Uh, it's something we want to do all the time. So we did that in the housing example with my mom, where they ended up using the same lawyer. And I would say the starting point to growing the pie is to start sharing what it is that you care about. People think that a negotiation is like being read your Miranda warning. Everything you say can and will be used against you. So they clam up and they don't say what they want. If you don't tell me you like beets, then I can't give you the beets to keep the broccoli. And so help me understand what it is you want. One of my mottos or my mantras negotiation is I want to give the other side what they want. And I don't want to do that just because I'm nice, although I might be nice. But if you get what you want, then you want to do the deal with me, in which case I can get what I want. And so the way to grow the pie is to talk about what each side really cares about. And to do that, we should go a step earlier and actually begin the negotiation with a discussion of how we'll negotiate. Can we agree up front that what we want to do is create a giant pie and split it? If we've done that, then we can spend all of our efforts on how do we grow the pie and not fighting each other. 
It's just so helpful because like I said, I feel like the reason I've thought that I have been not powerful in negotiations in the past is because there's so many unknowns and I always feel like I'm treading these like <laughs> these waters of trying to decipher their thoughts, trying to appear stronger than I feel. And so to just have a more clear cut idea of the value that we're actually splitting, like I said earlier, just makes it so much easier for someone like me to stand my ground because I'm not the type that will bluff if I don't believe in what I'm saying. I feel like I'm lying. I feel like I'm taking advantage of people. But in this, it's actually fair. Yeah, I'm a big believer in not lying in a negotiation, not playing games, uh, and just being straightforward. So it, when you start misrepresenting what you really care about, people won't be able to do with you what you'd like them to do. So imagine that what I want to do is sell you my gas station, and my goal is to take a trip around the world So uh, on a sailboat. Should I reveal that to you? Yes. Okay. So let's think about this. Do you know that I'm selling the gas station? Yeah, there's a for sale sign out of the station. So that's not a secret. Now, I have some reason for selling the station. There are good reasons and bad reasons. A bad reason for selling the station is it's about to become a Superfund site. Uh, or the highway exit entrance ramp is being shut down, so nobody's going to come to my station anymore. A good reason is I want to take a trip around the world. And so people don't want to reveal what's going on. But actually, that revelation is good news, not bad news from the buyer's perspective. What they'll do instead is say things like, it's not, it's personal reasons, or I'm looking to retire. But in this particular case, the couple who's selling the station are going to do a two-year trip around the world, but they're not ready to retire. They're too young for that. They actually need a job when they come back. And if you say you're going to retire, then the other side isn't going to say, oh, great, can I give you a job when you come back? It's like, well, did you just hear me? I said I was retiring. And so essentially, when you tell the person what it is you want, they actually might be able to give it to you. People say in negotiation, you should listen more than you speak. Well, that can't be right, because if both sides do that, then it doesn't add up. I say you should listen as much as you speak and speak as much as you listen. You have to not just ask questions, you have to answer questions. And that's how you grow the pie. Yeah, I love that, because you never know. What if you're selling a gas station and the person just happens to have the perfect nautical vehicle for you to take a trip around and then that's part of the negotiation. That's possible. I think it's probably a little bit unlikely, but you know, <laughs> you never know. Well, you never know unless you voice the things that you want. So these little exactly. hidden revelations can and, come out. And in this particular case, what they really have is the job for you when you come back because they have a lot of different gas stations and you're a great manager. Or another problem you might have is... All your money is going to be tied up in a boat when you come back. And you don't want to have to have a fire sale. So could they lend you some money when you come back as a loan against the boat? So you can sell the boat in six months rather than have to sell it in six weeks. So let me share with you what my problems are and see if you can help me solve any of them. Now, by the way, if that happens, of course, I'm going to get a little bit less from my station. But that's fine because we've created a bigger pie that that we're sharing. Well, I love this so much. Couldn't put your book down and I ended up sending it to my husband and I'm like, you must read this, your sales guy must read this because I think it could actually make a really big difference in just your business dealings because it's just so helpful whether you're using it in business or just in life because so many of these examples, I mean, I could have used three of them just in college alone. So 
So thank you so much for the value that you've brought here and for explaining it in such a, a way that is so easy to receive. So for listeners that are interested in learning more, diving deeper, hearing even more examples, where's the best place for them to connect and find your book? Splitthepiebook.com has some videos, some interactive negotiation exercises, sample chapters. So uh, podcasts like this will appear on there when, uh, when it finally gets edited and you take my coughs out. And of course, at your local bookstore or Amazon, it's a bargain at like $20. How can you beat that? A lot cheaper than paying $80,000 and getting your MBA. <laughs> All the links for this episode are at mindlove.com slash 265. And your challenge for this week is to figure out some scenarios where you can split the pie. So maybe it's something small like pizza, or maybe it's rent or dividing your food bill or something like that. Or you just make it up because it's pretty fun. Or find the book where there's a bunch of examples that really drills this information in. But I have been having fun with this, even going back to past negotiations and asking myself, how would I do it differently? That is actually one of the best ways to learn from your life is to spend time reflecting on what you would have done differently. Different from regret, where you mull over what you should have done and you feel bad about it. Instead, you just reflect back and it's like, all right, well, could I make this happen better in the future? And what would I do differently? So this splitting the pie technique is actually super simple. You take the value that you guys are creating together and you split that, then add it on the value you would have each gotten anyways, if nobody made a deal. So let me know how it goes because I really love this strategy. It makes so much sense for so many different scenarios. And honestly, I feel like I can go into a negotiation situation as a total badass and just be like, no, this is what's fair. This is what I deserve. And I wouldn't back down. Whereas before I was like a weak pile of mush, like overcooked noodles, like wet bread. I don't know why I want to keep going with that metaphor. It's not useful. Anyways, if you found this episode helpful, please send it to a friend or take a screenshot and tag me on social media, Mind Love Melissa, Mind Love Podcast. You can also support the show by joining Mind Love Premium where you get extra episodes, over 50 that are only for premium members, early release, ad-free listening, meditations, mindlove.com slash premium. You can also find my sponsors at mindlove.com slash sponsors or you can leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you do, you just might hear your review on the show. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 